0: last week that the Ten Commandments are what God gives us to allow us to stand in the world rather than stumble and crawl. The Ten Commandments. If you weren't here, we're on commandment number two. We need to, however, pause and just welcome our Spanish congregation over here. They are 110 members strong now, your Yucaipa Valley Spanish Church, and we just want to welcome you. They're here today because we're going to baptize four brothers and sisters into Christ. But as we get started, may I just say to all of you, bienvenidos. ¿Cómo están ustedes? ¿Todos estamos juntos hoy? Es un buen día, ¿sí? Eso es todo lo que yo puedo decir in Espanol, excepto, Dios es bueno. Amen. Amen? Do you want to know what we said? You really want to know? You should not covet. The Ten Commandments said you should. So that greeting was just for them, not for you. <laughs> I don't even know what I said. No, but I did say God is good. Amen? Amen. We're on the second commandment today. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 2. Exodus 20, verse 2. And we're beginning in verse 2 for a reason. If you were here last week, you know that every week we're going to read the prologue. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We can never forget that part of the commandments. We'll say it every week here. Now verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This one... Second commandment, I thought would be the easiest of all. It really doesn't challenge me. Does it challenge you? Have you felt tempted to make an idol this week? To carve something and to worship it? In fact, I've wondered as we were preparing for the sermon series, what will we say about the second commandment? I'm really not tempted by this one. Thou shalt have no other gods before you, thou shalt not make any idols, thou shalt not bow down and worship them. That's all right with me. And maybe with you, especially if you were born in the Western world in America and in Western Adventist Christianity, because I don't know anybody who has a religious shrine in their house. I don't know anybody who carries a little a little replica of their God in their car to their office or in their home. I've never seen any of us here in worship service bow down and pray or sacrifice to something made out of wood or Or plaster or gold. Have you never seen that here? This commandment doesn't seem to challenge me too much. Now, maybe some of you have seen more. If you grew up outside of this country, if you did mission service somewhere, some of you are used to seeing what the images of gods look like. You're used to the regular rhythm of of pausing and praying and sacrificing and asking the God to do something for you. But for Adventist Christians in America haven't been tempted to make an idol this week. It's not a big problem. That's how I thought about it as I started studying this commandment, our second commandment. Moses comes down off of the mountaintop. He's, not, he's already given the commandments. Now he's been up there for 40 days receiving extra instruction from Yahweh. When While he's up there, the children of Israel are agitated. They're getting anxious because he's been gone for a while. And they'd really like to see this God who just gave them all of these commandments. And so in their impatience, they begin to take off their jewelry. They find all their gold and their treasures and they give them to Aaron and they enlist Aaron to help them. And they melt these things down. as you know, the story goes in Exodus chapter 32 and they create a golden calf, a golden bull is probably more accurate. This bull that represents fertility and strength, the most powerful image they could select. And at the base of the bull, they have a party. They dance, they eat, they do a lot of other things they weren't supposed to do because they're impatient. But do you know what? Now, at least, their God is identifiable, it's locatable, they can see it. They can come to the God when they have a request. When they need to make a prayer for a favor, they can see where the God is located. It doesn't move, it will be stationary. And it's very helpful for their neighbors, all of those who are looking on, because when they say, where is your God? They can just point to this golden bull, identifiable, locatable. You can see it, a visible God. That's what they wanted. We say we would never do that. We think, you know, they just got the message from Sinai. I thought about Mount Sinai when I saw the pictures in the paper, the beginning of the week. Have you seen this volcano that's erupted the beginning of the week in Indonesia? where there's 129 active volcanoes there, the Ring of Fire in the Pacific Rim, this Merapi erupted early in the week. And I, I saw the picture in the paper and wondered, did Sinai feel and look anything like that with the, the fire and the heat and the trembling? And wouldn't that put the fear of God in you? We read that. So how is it they forget so easy and we think, well, we would never be like them. We would do it differently. We would have remembered And I think maybe not. What happened to the children of Israel right there around the golden calf happens to us very easily. For the second commandment, you should make no idols and you shouldn't worship them. They pulled right out of its context. Instead of remembering that it came from that God who brought them out of Egypt, who didn't want them enslaved. Instead of remembering that, they pulled it right out of there and it became a rule and they collapsed it with Deuteronomy 4. If you read there, there's a very detailed list of, of the images. Don't make an image of anything, a beast, an animal, anything that flies, whether it's mundane or sacred. Just don't carve anything. Don't paint anything. Don't make something that looks like something else. It's a very thorough list in Deuteronomy 4. Collapse these two ideas and a very literal reading. And we end up with, with a, really an argument. What do you do with the second commandment? And as time moved on, it became a conversation. Well, what's an idol? Well, what's a graven image? Well, what's an icon? Something that represents a picture of the divine. What are these things? And what's a molten image? And and they began to wrestle. And the Christian church began to wrestle with all of this. So by the time you get to the second century, the church leaders were demanding that there be no idols anywhere, no visual representation of anything in the churches, lest they would bow down and worship them. They were so strict about this that they wouldn't even take the offering, the money, from someone in the congregation who painted, who was an artist, who worked in metals and gold and silver and bronze. Because it could be that they would bow and worship these things. All of them. Paintings, symbols, pictures, statues. None of them. By the time you get all the way up to the 8th century, a big argument in the Christian church. One of the things that pulled the church apart between the East and the West. The iconoclast controversy where they begin to destroy each other's images. Decide what images you could worship and what images I can worship. If you look at some of these pictures, they're absolutely incredible. From the 8th century, look at the little face of Jesus coming down off the cross. You see the little man down here below? He's got a sponge and he's erasing the face of Jesus. Jesus can be on the cross, but they don't want his face represented. That's just the 8th century. That's a Psalms. This one's a little later, and you see where the the, uh, picture has been defaced. It's being damaged because someone came along and said, Thou shalt not, and began to destroy it. And it keeps going all the way up through the time of the Reformation. These are Dutch reformers climbing up on a ladder, destroying statues and images. And this became what the church was about. And when they looked at the second commandment, they became a church, identifying everyone else's idols, pointing their fingers. Arguing. Damaging. Ruining. From the earliest Jews to the earliest Christians. The Eastern Church, the Western Church, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church. That's us today. And we sit here and have you ever wondered when you sit in church and you look around why things seem a little bit plain compared to some other churches you've been in? And I think of you, the Spanish church, because soon your building's going to go up and soon you're going to have decorating committees. They are, aren't they? You're going to be making decisions about carpet and what kind of pulpit you'll purchase and what kind of pictures or stained glass can go on the wall. What's appropriate in the house of God? Every church has this conversation. So here we are in the Protestant Adventist church. We. We don't do carved images, but the stained glass is okay, isn't it? We won't do a golden overlay on the altar, but we can have the wood, wooden communion table. We can even have a little beveled wooden uh, artwork on our pulpit. We certainly don't do, do saints. We don't do a crucifix that's bleeding, a bleeding and wounded Jesus. But we can do three angels with trumpets. Isn't it interesting how we decide what's okay for us? The very first time I ever wanted to buy a a religious symbol for our home, our girls were real young. And I wanted something that we would set in the house at Christmas time. After Christmas, I went to the sale over at the department store, and I found what I thought was this most beautiful nativity set. Pewter. It's really rather simple, just Mary Joseph, the baby Jesus, laying in a little manger of hay with tassels and stuff on the side. Not real authentic there. I thought it was lovely. I brought it home, and it actually sets out year-round in our house by the front door. This little baby Jesus had one problem when I brought him home. He, he had the halo, the golden halo, around his head. And I realized when I bought him that that could be a little problematic. I wasn't sure if that was okay to bring, bring baby Jesus home with that image, that visual image of divinity that I, I don't see in my church. So I laid him down in his little bed, and um, my father was coming to visit one Christmas. Now, I thought, if I have questions about it, my father's not going to like this. He's not going to like the baby Jesus with this little piece of gold on his head, so I took it off. If you pick him up, he has a hole in the back of his head. (laughs) Baby Jesus has a hole there. Now I'm not being sacrilegious. If you look real close, you can see the gold where they super glued on that little halo, that little that little um, visual for divinity. And I laid him back down in his bed. You can't even tell he has a hole in his head. And put him on my shelf. And now he's appropriate in my home. So whether it's Christian tradition or the faith you were raised in, which teaches you what symbols and visuals are okay and what's not everyone has an idea about images and it usually begins with our understanding and our conversation from the second commandment baby jesus if history is our teacher then we have something to learn here don't we look at how the church spent its time the commandment was i'm your god you're my people i'm the one who brought you out of egypt now don't make any idols don't bow down before them don't have any other gods and we spend our time having riots Having fights, destroying property, exiling people, stoning people, killing people, all because of images. And we decided that the church shouldn't have too much beauty because we might be tempted to worship it. And I think it's a good time to pause when we're on the second commandment and ask, is that really the case? Because what happens soon after Moses comes down? He comes down from Mount Sinai and instructions are given for the children to build what? For God. A sanctuary. And not just any sanctuary, a detailed sanctuary with specific kinds of metals and woods and paintings, with very specific kinds of oils and perfumes and spices. And if you keep reading all the way to Exodus 31, God even hand selects the people, the craftsmen who will make this sanctuary. He calls them by name. Get so-and-so. He's skilled in this trade. And then there's so-and-so. These men have my spirit in them. They'll make for me a beautiful sanctuary with these carved images. And you go all the way inside the most holy place in the mercy seat. What's on either side of that mercy seat? Cherubim carved on either side with their wings spread upward. The mercy seat itself, empty. But these beautiful carving images on the side. What's in the middle where God sits is empty. That is to say, nothing can image me, nothing can resemble me. Leave it plain, but all around where God sits in the most holy place is beauty, isn't there? So maybe we need to be careful about beauty and aesthetics in the church. The expression of beauty is not prohibited in the second commandment. Do you see that? And go in your Bible all the way through the first temple and the second temple, all the way to heaven. Aren't there incredible descriptions of what heaven is supposed to look like? Isn't it supposed to be beautiful? Then beauty is not the problem, isn't it? Is it? It is rather when you look at this beautiful thing, does it draw you closer to your Creator, or does it pull you away from your Creator? Does it take you to a, Does it give you a window in, a spiritual window in? the character of your God, or does it stand in the way? Those are the questions to ask when we talk about beauty. Beauty does belong. Well, then what's the problem with the idols? Maybe we could ask the question this way this morning. If you want to know what your idols are, ask yourself, when you wake up in the morning, what is it you work for? Who is it you work for? What drives you day after day? What are are some of your most ultimate concerns? What is it in your life that you would dedicate your day to? This is how we begin to identify our idols. Idols for us in the 21st century in America come in a lot of different forms. Ego, insecurities. Not being satisfied with the person you are, the person God created you to be, being called good in the image of God and that just not being quite good enough. And so we struggle and we wrestle to prove ourselves and and to achieve and it's hard for us to just relax that we're a good creation made by God and we, we use tremendous energy trying to get ahead. I've decided that most of us in this world are insecure It just manifests itself in different ways. Some of us become overly confident. Some of us shrivel way up and die. But the the core comes from the same place. Not quite good enough. Not quite successful enough. Not charming enough. Not good looking enough. Not intelligent enough. Not funny enough. Not enough peace of mind. Feeling just a little bit insignificant in our world. Insecurity can be an idol. What about this one? Our economic system, which is fueled by this credit-debit mentality, wanting more, consumption, consumerism. We just want to get ahead. The pressure of having what someone else has. The pressure of driving what someone else drives. The pressure of living where someone else lives. The pressure of dressing the way someone else dresses. The pressure for more and more stuff in our garage, in our attic. Could that be an idol? What about the intellect, the drive to know more, to think a little deeper, to go to another plane intellectually to describe and define and to declare and to get there before somebody else? If you're in the field of science in particular, what about our intellect? Could that be considered an idol? What about our theological ideas, theological truth, theological clarity, doctrine, ideologies, philosophies? Does that drive you when you get up, when you come to the church? Could those become an idol? The question is really, what are the prevailing powers in your world? What drives you? Are you driven by rage or anger? When you wake up in the morning, do you feel consumed by that? Are you, are you consumed by toxic relationships that haven't healed yet? They take all your energy. You see how that can become an idol? You see how that can stand in the place between you and your creator who says, I'm the Lord your God. Don't make any other idols. Don't have any other gods. There are so many idols in our lives. You'll have to name your own. We had a wedding in our church last week. The wedding didn't happen here. It happened downtown at the Mission Inn in Riverside. Some of you have been in the St. Francis de Chapel. There, it's this very unusual, eclectic mix of, of uh, symbols. You'll find um, Guadalupe. You'll find this golden overlay altar from the 18th century. Tiffany windows, which are a signature piece of the chapel there. And when you go inside, it's a visual feast. Everywhere you look, there's something on the walls. There's no plain wall. From the ground all the way up. We were having this wedding rehearsal last week. Vonda Stilson Monte Andres got married, and their grandchildren were all involved in the ceremony. All these little tiny wiggly ones, you know, from like the age of seven and down. We're rehearsing on Thursday night, and the wedding coordinator was there. I was listening carefully, but I couldn't help notice these two little guys. And I asked their permission to tell the story. They said only if I'm going to tell it in the Calamesa Church. This is Zach Hoffer and his little cousin, Colin, I think. So these two little guys are standing in front of the altar. And their eyes are as big as saucers just taking in everything on the walls around them. And they, they rest on this one image. And Colin says to Zach, look at that skull up there. That's a skull. That's a dead person's skull. And I look, and it is. There's a skull in somebody's hand. It's right on the top of the wall little boy says, that's gross. Oh, that's scary. Yeah, that's scary. Who is that? I don't know who that is. It's Jesus. little boy decides it's Jesus. These are our two budding theologians here now. So they're having a little conversation. The skull belongs to Jesus. Zach says, no, that's not Jesus. Yes, it is. His cousin tells him it's Jesus because they crucified him and they killed him and they chopped his head off. That's the head of Jesus. Zach's listening, and his face is just horrified. That's not Jesus. It's not. No, they crucified him, and he bled, but they didn't kill his head off. I will not believe you. Little cousin, looking back, it's Jesus. (laughs) And Zach finally crosses his arms, and he says to his cousin, I refuse to believe you. That's not Jesus. Of course, you know the reply. It's Jesus. It was unresolved. Look around your world. Go ahead and define and describe and label your idols. What are they? Because I don't know, but you know. God knows. When you look around your world... Remember from the second commandment, Jesus said, God says, you're not supposed to have any other idols. No, nothing you bow down to. And remember, he's in the middle of a thought that begins from the prologue. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember what slavery was like. You're not there anymore. Now we're here at the base of Sinai, so have no other gods before me. He takes a big breath. You see, all these commandments are linked together here at the beginning. The prologue, commandment one, commandment two. I'm your God. Don't have any other gods. By the way, don't make any idols and don't bow down and worship. Worship Him, it's one thought that Yahweh is in the middle of. It isn't finished yet, and, and, and it's as if God is saying, Every attempt you'll make at trying to define me and describe me will never be enough. I'll always be bigger and more than whatever you can imagine. The God of Israel and Egypt is that God. So any idea you have, it'll be more, whether it's the Bible or Sabbath or our community here together, all all the precious things we imagine God to be about. They're just a shadow of what God really is. That's what the second commandment is saying. And it's as if God is saying to the people, you were in slavery, but I, I don't want you to go back there. There are many ways to be enslaved. You can enslave yourself. And if you start to name your own idols, they might come back. To enslave you. So here's what I'd rather have you do. Remember when we got out of the Red Sea and we crossed over to the other side, they began to sing, and Miriam led this song, and all of them joined together. Exodus fifteen. Who is like thee, O Lord, among all the other gods? There's no one like this God. This is the God who mastered everything about nature to get them out of Egypt. No one else like me. Now keep this lips on your this song on your lips, keep this song in your mind. It's almost as if I can hear this subscript, friends, in the second commandment. And here's what, Jesus, what God says. Who is the only invisible God you've seen in this world? Colossians says Jesus is the form of the invisible God, doesn't it? And then it's as if God says, go to Genesis chapter 1. would you? Genesis chapter 1, 26. It's not only Jesus who is a form of an invisible God in the world, but who else? Out of all creation, no one else has this said about them but the humans. 126 of Genesis, let us make man in our own image according to our own likeness. God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. You are the image of God. I am the image of God. Maybe the children of Israel are not supposed to be busy creating images of God, but rather being images of God in the world. Do you see the difference? One theologian says it this way. I know of, uh, no, maybe the only image of God we have in this world is the one that walks on two feet. You're the image of God. You don't need an idol. We don't need idols. Anything that we substitute for idols because our call is to be the image of God in the world. And so I have to ask myself if I'm ready for that. Are you ready to carry the image of God in the world today? Do you think about that when you wake up in the morning? Today, I'm going to be the image of God in the world. Today, the world will know that God has not left because I'll be that image in the world today. Do you think that way when you wake up? A couple of months ago, I was coming out of the store. I was in a hurry, as I always am, walking quick, clinging onto my bags. And I heard a voice across the parking lot. Someone who said, excuse me, excuse me. It was a little bit of a frail voice. And you have two choices right then, don't you? To either look or to Keep walking. I decided to keep walking because I didn't have time to stop. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you the way it is. And, and I hear it again. Excuse me, excuse me, ma'am. Now, I don't like that ma'am word. I'm not ma'am. My mother is ma'am. I'm very sure about that. Never have liked that ma'am word. I'm far too young to be a ma'am. So now I know I'm not going to look. I'm moving quickly to my car. Excuse me, ma'am, could you could just come over here? Now I'm feeling a little badly and nervous. Is he okay? What, what is it? It's a man's voice. And I look over. Here's an elderly man standing right next to his chevy blazer with one arm up on the side but and a cane and he's parked in a handicap slot right close to the the front door his his wife is in the store and he's outside and so i turn and i begin to walk to him of course my next thought is who is he i'm probably supposed to know him he's probably a church member because that happens every week i meet people i'm supposed to know i'm looking at him he said he says come over here Are you okay? I asked him. Took a few steps closer. He looked safe. Are are, are you okay? Is anything wrong? He says to me, Oh, no, I'm fine. I was just wondering if anyone, if I could get anyone to stop and come over here. Are you all right? Yeah, my wife is in the pharmacy and I'm getting lonely. She's been gone a long time. I'm getting lonely. I said, well, what are you doing with a cane? Well, I had a stroke in December, and I began to listen. I had a stroke in December, and I haven't been out of the house since then. And you know what? I really don't have anybody to talk to. And my wife and I talk, but I've pretty much heard everything she has to say. (laughs) So I really would just like to talk to somebody. And what I wondered is if I could get anybody to come over here. And when these things happen to me, it's as if God just stands me still, puts pause, reorders my day, reorders my life. Hmm, when I woke up this morning, what was driving me? What was pulling at me? What was my highest priority? The question is, do I have time? Will I let it happen? Will I ask God? Can I be your image in the world today? Whatever the will is on heaven is the will God would like to express on earth. That's God's agenda in the world. Now, if you want to be second commandment people, the question is, are you ready to carry the image of God into the world today? No matter what you have to do. Are you ready to be inconvenienced? Are you ready to have your priorities are altered? Are oh, you are ready to set aside your own altars? Name them. Set them aside. If you want to be second commandment people, guess what? You can. You'll carry the image of God to a broken world. Amen.